And immediately we could tell it was so different, so different from what we were used to. It was like total culture shock, like in the opposite direction where I was just like, like everyone here is white and <laughs> I'm not used to that. And everyone's super religious and I'm also not used to that. And it's just like Texas is an interesting place that I now like definitely appreciate for the years I was there, but it's just like somewhere people are really proud to be from Texas. So there's like a, a very different dynamic in like state pride there. And that's something to like get used to as well. But when we moved there, we were definitely that like weird California family. My mom like set up a compost bin like immediately and like started like turning compost. And like, we were just like, she like started planting trees on the street, like contacted the city to plant more trees. Like it was always just like, she ran our earth days at school in Texas. Cause they didn't really like they weren't going crazy for Earth Day because it was Texas in like the early 90s. <laughs> like So she would just like do that. So that was always kind of like a part of my growing up and my childhood and my life is that my mom was like, this earth is really important and we need to take care of it as much as we can. So this is what we do to do that. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Hi there, veggie mates. You just heard from this week's special guest, Monica Schrock. I'm your host, Matthew Davey, and this is episode 70 of the Veg Talk podcast. Welcome back to those of you who have tuned in before and to those checking us out for the first time. I send you a huge welcome and thank you for choosing to spend some of your day with our guest and I. I'd like to give a shout out to a great friend of mine, Bobby Nagelberg and his company Pleasant Petites. They make organic and vegan bars out of uh, New York State and I highly recommend you go and check them out online. Go to pleasantpetites.com and head to their catalog if you'd like to make a purchase. You can also learn more about Bobby, the founder, uh, in episode number seven of the podcast. Now let's shift the focus to this week's episode with our awesome guest, Monica Schrock of Unsocially Inclined. We met Monica through our group of friends here in Portland and we're so stoked that we crossed paths with her. As you'll soon find out, Monica is an extremely kind human with a really infectious, positive energy. Despite Monica's focus being helping introverts grow their business uh, without compromising who they truly are, this is not what we dived into during our conversation. Today, we'll hear from Monica on her life growing up in California and also moving to Dallas, Texas with her family, her passion for the environment and how her mom was a huge influence a book called The Food Revolution and how that helps her to become vegan, working for Peter, and much, much more. You can find Monica online at www.monicashrock.com and also on Instagram at unsociallyinclined. As always, I'll catch you on the other side to wrap things up, veggie mates. I hope you enjoy the conversation and thank you again for hanging with us. Let's rock and roll. Yeah, shrock and roll, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're shrocking and rolling. Let's go. Okay, so we are here, guys, today with Monica Shruck, as you just heard, because we are shrocking and rolling. Yep. We're ready to shrock and roll. Monica, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here today. Thanks. I'm stoked to be here. Yeah, so Monica is a part of the... The PNW fam, yeah, that was uh, kind of founded before Anna and I even set foot in Portland. We're lucky that we've kind of walked in, and there's this great group of people that we kind of hang out with uh, for important occasions and um, yeah. share food with and drinks with, and it's uh, it's a heap of fun. Yeah. So thank you for building that community. 
Absolutely. We're stoked to be adding to it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a heap of fun. The group yeah. text is uh, a good time as well. It's wild. Yeah. <laughs> Slightly overwhelming at times. <laughs> you can say it. It's fine. 50 notifications. Yeah. Try like 180. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's true. But it's good to go through them. Yeah. You know, we're you, hilarious. Yeah. All of us. <laughs> it's, it's definitely good fun. So how was, uh, how was yesterday? You had a, I believe you had a bacon uh, oh, t- taste yes. test. Vegan bacon taste test with yeah. Chris and Jasmine. Um, super fun. My, uh, my partner, Tom, also joins the fun. Who He's vegetarian and um, people find him very amusing. <laughs> I do. That's why I'm with him. But also other people do, apparently. <laughs> so how was, um, how was the intro? How was his uh, debut intro? It was amazing. He did it once and about 20 minutes later, he was like, uh, I have to do it again. I'm not happy with it. <laughs> So 20 minutes into the recording. Yeah. But I mean, it's okay because they did a couple of takes, but he was like, I'm not happy with that first intro. I have to do it again. So he's, he's been, he's like, I've been thinking about it for 20 minutes and I know I can do it better. Did they get him a robe? Like, no, I wish he had a robe and a makeup crew and all that kind of Sitting stuff. Sitting in a director's chair. Yeah. I wish. I got to do it again. I got to do it again. I can guys. just, Im- I can imagine. He's already a demanding actor. Yeah. 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 You know, what's funny is um, last video we did was burger testing or burger, vegan burger tasting. Yeah. And um, there was a comment to myself and our friend Kat that we are those pretentious vegans, <laughs> which was hilarious because at the time Kat's been vegan for, what is it? January 20th, 20 days now, which go Kat. Um, but at the time she wasn't vegan. So that is just like an inaccurate comment, but Apparently, I'm a pretentious vegan, which is hilarious. <laughs> but I told Tom, I was like, you know why? Because I have to keep you on track in these videos, and I sound like a dick when I'm trying to get you to answer the questions. And he's like, no, that's our dynamic. We're funny. I'm like, I don't think other people think it's funny. <laughs> I think we think it's funny. <laughs> so we'll see. It remains to be seen. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Test two, vegan, <laughs> vegan bacon taste What was test. the comment on the, on the YouTube channel? <laughs> Just that we were, what, what, that the blue-haired girl and cat were uh, just like some of those pretentious vegans that like have opinions on things, which the whole video is to give your opinion on the thing. So I don't know. Maybe they just don't like women who have opinions. (laughs) I have a feeling. They're getting really picky. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. How dare they say what they think of it? (laughs) I know. Just sit there and enjoy every burger. Enjoy it and shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Enjoy that you can have a burger. (laughs) Oh, my God. The internet, hurrah. There is some some interesting, you know, things to see on on channels that are large. Like, you oh, know, yeah. Chris and Jasmine have a a you know, quite a big channel now yeah. and t- just to go through the comments is sometimes like what do people do with their time? Like why what, I don't know. why do you even bother? Yeah, it's interesting that people have time, but it's great that they're interested in what they're doing. But also, yeah, it's kind of that lack of boundary that the internet's given not given people I guess that empowerment of lack of boundaries it's given people because some people comment on things where I'm just like how could you <laughs> like it's so not your business like, definitely what? yeah there is yeah we've we've spoken about that a lot yeah. like yeah there is I'm just sure no when Chris boundary. and Jasmine were here yeah. yeah there's like I don't know it's yeah it's I mean it, of course it comes with it's a double-edged sword putting yourself out there but true I mean that doesn't mean that people just get to like for a burger taste want. test yeah 
yeah. Come on, it's all fun and games, yeah. especially with Tom. Yeah. You know? <laughs> exactly. Tom's all fun and games. And quite honestly, if me having an opinion and being direct and like strong makes me pretentious, then I'm fine with it. <laughs> and if it makes his cameo stronger, then, yes. you know. I'm here. I'm here for him. We're all better for I'm it. I'm here to elevate him. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of hair color. Ah, yes. Let, let's get into it. That let's, was such a good transition. Let, let's talk about hair color. So let's talk about it. We've known Monica for probably what since November. Yeah, not yeah. too long. <laughs> and I think since then, it's now January, so it's been what three months. Yeah. I reckon you've had at least at least three at least three, three different hair, hair colors. colors. <laughs> Walk in, and it's like oh yeah. oh hey. Blue today. Um, and the most like tripping one for people was when I just buzzed it and didn't color it and it was brown for a hot minute and people were like, oh, I like this color. Like what, what color is it? I was like, it's just my (laughs) color. And they're like, oh, (laughs) and it really like really threw people for a loop. They were like, what's different who I didn't recognize you. Like I, this, this, my friend's kid saw me on FaceTime and she was like, who is that? (laughs) And I've known her like her entire life. <laughs> She's six years old and she was like, who is that? <laughs> She's like, that's Monica. That lady had blue hair before. Yeah, yeah, blue, green, purple. Yeah. So I change my hair um, just, yeah, all the time because I, and I, whenever I have it brown, I think it's super boring. And it's like, it's not even that I don't like it. I'm just like, this is part of my expression. And I think it's super fun. And I buzz my hair off all the time and start over. And like, I just like, I don't know. I just like going crazy and trying new things. And I don't care. It's so low stakes because if something happens and it's weird, I'm just like, eh, I'll just get rid of it. It's going, it's going to be gone in like a month. <laughs> so whatever. So was there a time where like it was a big deal? Like the first time you buzzed it, the first time you colored it, was it like, holy shit, this is like. It was so freeing. It was like yeah. the most freeing thing I've ever done. I had long hair. I didn't do anything to my hair till I was 25 is when I first cut it. I mean, not first cut it, but it was always kind of just like, you know, normal, like, like Anna's hair. Like, no, yeah, like, yeah, that kind of length always. It's super curly. It's just brown. And I always hated it. It always went up in a bun. It was always like I didn't know what to do with it. And it was like a constant struggle through my life where I'd, I'd leave the salon as a kid, like crying because they wouldn't know how to cut curly hair. And I just have this horrible haircut and like, I never knew what to do with it. So the first time I like started cutting it like slowly, slowly, like shorter and shorter. And I remember... I think it was like some kind of dare. They were like, if this happens, you I'll, like buzz your head. And I was like, yeah, sure. At that point, I was like, whatever. And I didn't think it was going to happen. And it did. And I was like, well, <laughs> I, just, I told you I would do it. So I did it. And the weirdest thing is I felt so much more feminine than I ever did with hair, which was like kind of the wildest mm. thing is like, I couldn't hide behind it. And I feel like I was in a way, like I wasn't expressing myself because I was like afraid. I don't know. And I just hid behind it. And when it was gone, I couldn't hide anymore. And it kind of was just like so empowering to just be like, this is me. This is my face. This is my personality. This is who I am. And I don't really care if you don't like it. <laughs> and that's kind of like what came with it. Um, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I couldn't imagine you with long hair. Like <laughs> it know. suits you so much. I know. I feel the same. It'll never happen. Yeah. It'll never happen. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. couldn't at all. I'm already one of those old ladies that just like tones her hair and it turns a weird color. And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the color goes with... Yeah. Your personality and everything as well. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I was so hiding before I started getting tattoos and coloring my hair. I just, it wasn't me. And I grew up, I was in Texas at the time when I had, didn't do any of those things and people were very judgmental about it. And when I first started experimenting with it, I got a lot of pushback from mm. people that lived there, but I just was like, no, this is not me. I'm just going to keep going and do what feels right. So 
just kept getting more and more radical. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. Really cool. So let's talk about that. Let's talk yeah. about like uh, growing up, like growing up. where you're from and uh, what it was like being there. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, eventually I'd love to hear a little bit about the reasons why you decided to personally go vegan and um, yes. yeah, we can, we can take it from there. I can, I can go all those. <laughs> I can do all that. <laughs> so um, I'm from California. Um, that's where I was born. I was born in Oakland, California in the Bay Area. I love it. It's one of my favorite places to be. Um, I was, we wanted to move there actually before we decided on Portland, but it's just like too expensive now and kind of wild. So we couldn't go back there, but, um, I was there through elementary school. Um, I loved it. It was amazing. It was always like 65 degrees outside. Like it's super, you know, just like a mix of all different people. It always has been like my, my mom, my family grew up there. They loved it. Um, which made them like huge hippies and like environmentalists. And that's kind of where all of it started as my mom was just like super into the environment in Northern California. It's like a huge thing. It always has been there. Um, you know, they're all potheads. They all like don't care. You know, it was just like always Oakland was like that place where it was like, you know, you're free to like, just like love, you know, everyone and do what you want to do and be who you are. And it has its problems of course, but, um, I just, I loved it there. And, you know, my parents were young parents, so they had two kids um, when they were in their early 20s. And it just, even then, in the late 80s, was like, in the early 90s, was really expensive. So my dad was like, hey, I need to transfer somewhere that's less expensive. And they transferred him to Dallas, Texas. <laughs> so in August, right before school started, um, at the like the end of elementary school, we, we moved to Dallas, Texas. We never lived anywhere outside of Northern California. It always had been like 65 degrees and amazing. And we, we moved to Texas in August and it was like 112 degrees outside. <laughs> like none of our cars had air conditioning. My sister and I like started crying when we got there because <laughs> we just were like, what is this place? We've never felt anything like this. And immediately we could tell it was so different, so different from what we were used to. It was like total culture shock, like in the opposite direction where I was just like, like everyone here is white and <laughs> I'm not used to that and everyone's super religious and I'm also not used to that and it's just like Texas is an interesting place that I now like definitely appreciate for the years I was there but it's just like somewhere people are really proud to be from Texas so there's like a, a very different dynamic in like state pride there and that's something to like get used to as well but when we moved there we were definitely that like weird California family my mom like set mm -hmm. up a compost bin like immediately and like started like turning compost and like we were just like she like started planting trees on the street like contacted the city to plant more trees like it was always just like she ran our earth days at school in Texas because they didn't really like they weren't going crazy for Earth Day because it was Texas in like the early 90s. <laughs> like, so she would just like do that. So that was always kind of like a part of my growing up and my childhood and my life is that my mom was like, this earth is really important and we need to take care of it as much as we can. So this is what we do to do that. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> wow. That's, yeah. that's really cool. So, I mean, this def it sounds like a, you sound like a bunch of really deep northern californians <laughs> definitely not a bunch of texans yeah or my dad's from the south though which is interesting oh, cool. but he he like left the south when he like left high school and, and joined the navy and met my mom in california so it was just like yeah he just kind of leaned into that <laughs> so it was very much like yeah we're a bunch of californians my grandmother was scottish but still was like super into that when she moved there so we were all just like super deep into it for sure so what kind of stuff did your mom teach you because 
I don't feel like at least our generation growing up in the 90s, I don't think the environment was like front of mind. Yeah. Um, in terms of like our upbringing. Yeah. So like even in school, like in education, I, yeah. I wouldn't say it was like a real thing that we were learning yep. about. So to get that th- education through your parents is pretty cool, especially cool. now when it's like we're talking Huge. about it all the time. Yeah. Um, still Crucial. not acting on it. And Texas probably still isn't stoked on Earth Day. Yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, what did you learn? Yeah, I mean, so much and mostly and not not in the like, and I'll talk about this, why I went vegan, but not in that aspect. I think that wasn't quite, hadn't quite reached the environmental movement yet, that that was like a huge like impact on our environmental footprint. But for, uh, with my mom, she was a master gardener. So she was very much into, especially in Texas. And she did this all the way up to when she left, um, doing like xeriscape gardening. So like water, um, efficient gardening where people would have lawns in like Texas and even in Southern California that happens. And it's just like not sustainable. And these are not places people should have lawns with grass because <laughs> it's not the right climate. Yeah. Anywhere. Anywhere. When mostly you, anywhere. <laughs> I start, I've started thinking about this since moving to Portland because when we got here and sorry to cut you off, no. but when we got here, we house sat in a really nice area. It's like the Laurelhurst neighborhood. Yeah. And there are people growing food on their front lawns. Oh yeah. And we were like, this is amazing. This is the best place to have a lawn, 100% yeah. though. And like <laughs> yeah. having yeah. a lawn is yeah. almost like it's a crime. Waste. It's wasteful. Yeah. <laughs> we put so much resu- like so many resources into curating a lawn, yeah. like a green patch that's, that's supposed useless. to be some kind of like status. Yeah. Which is like, what? <laughs> Why don't we just grow This food? American dream that like, you know. I'm not going to get too like here, but like this American dream, the government like has, has sold us. And then in Southern California, you have people like the government trying to like prosecute people for growing food on their lawn, telling them they can't do it if they're in food deserts or telling them they can't be off the grid. They can't be self-sufficient. You can't have water or power that you don't put back into the grid. You can't be not dependent on us. So it's this like very layered dynamic, I think in Mm. America. And I don't know about other countries, but in America, for sure, about everyone being dependent on the government and what they give to us and corporations as well. So I think that's definitely a huge part of it. And this is what yeah. life is supposed to be like. You're supposed to have a fence and a lawn and you're not supposed to grow your own food because you need we need that money. <laughs> you know, like that kind of like. So what was she able to do? Yeah. So for her, it was a lot of like, um, which is really interesting because in Texas, yeah, they weren't necessarily like Earth Day, but they were very like conscious about their footprint based on like the sustainability of their state and people living there. Like when we lived in Texas, water restrictions were all the time. When I moved to LA right after college, like never, like there were never any water restrictions, which was insane. Cause you know, we're living in this area that people are, you know, really shouldn't be in. And there's now, you know, even though they say the drought's over, I don't, that's <laughs> clearly not a thing. And there were no, there was no education really on it in Southern California until like you know, signs appeared on the like five freeway freeway that was like, Hey, conserve water, take shorter showers, <laughs> not even like go vegan or something, but, like take shorter showers or something. And in Texas, it was like these, this is the water you can use. It, this is the restriction we're in based on like the time of year. Like we can't use more than this water. Cause this is what we have. So she would do, she would landscape in a way where like the water, the, like the permeable surfaces would take the water and use that to like, you know, rejuvenate the rest of the, the landscape and rain barrels and cisterns and things that capture water. So you can use that, um, for your house or for back or like put it back into your, 
you know, your garden in the back or whatever you have. So it was a lot of like gardening. She was a master gardener, so she could grow food and all that stuff, um, which was awesome. And very much like being in touch with like she, um, (laughs) she, her, my grandfather was a quarter Native American. So she was very much like tapped into like that culture, me not so much um, because he passed away before I was really able to know him, but she would always take us um, and educate us and want us to go into those spaces respectfully and learn like how native people cultivate the land and the land we're on and to be appreciative that we're here. And so it was um, that, that kind of appreciation of like that environmental aspect of appreciation of the land and really respecting and honoring how people have cultivated this land and learning from that um, was a big part of it too. Yeah. I think that the native people of any land, really were you know in a relationship with it yeah not it was not transactional to, they weren't yeah. trying to defeat it and like <laughs> take everything from it they yeah. were really reliant on it and um and worked with it rather than against it um or to exploit it yeah so yeah we've unfortunately in our modern society's gone totally the opposite way absolutely uh, and now paying the price I think for that, um, unfortunately, but 100%. there seems to be a shift yeah. back and I don't, the other way. I don't think we're going to solve this huge problem we have without that shift. And as someone from like colonial heritage, I'm definitely not perfect. And my whole life hasn't been being perfect about honoring that. Um, but it's something I work at and that's something that was instilled in me at a young age, which I'm really thankful for <laughs> because I didn't grow up being totally just like you know oblivious to it yeah yeah um which was nice and and but it's such a juxtaposition being you know somewhere like the south um it was an interesting place to be and an interesting place um to grow up um but going through that whole um you know like childhood like makeup with my mom like instilling that into us you know it it was it just became like an interest of mine because it was just a part of who I was and we would always come back to California and go to Yosemite and go to all these amazing national parks and we always went camping and we spend a lot of time in nature so there's that like connection but also like I ended up going into high school and college and would be in the environmental clubs and would be because it's like part of like my who I am so I'd always be a part of it and eventually like I went to college I was in the environmental club at college in Texas so University of North Texas, UNT in Denton. Um, And surprisingly, they were like, I think because they weren't a prestigious school, they wanted to be on like, you know, on the edge of something that made them unique. And somehow they went in the direction of sustainability, which was really cool. So they opened up this office of sustainability and they um, recruited students who were in the environmental club to be employees there. So I got to be a marketing strategist there because I went to school for business marketing, which was super cool. And I got to do a lot of tactics on campus and a lot of organizing and a lot of like grassroots stuff. And it was so cool. But some of the coolest stuff we got to do was kind of just like impact, like influence the actual like system at the college and have them create more sustainable and even more vegan practices. It turns out University of North Texas has one of the two. As far as I know, there might be more now um, vegan dining halls in the nation, which is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> pretty wild <laughs> we we definitely spoke with someone about um the the vegan dining halls in texas that she helped to to implement so that's really? pretty cool yeah that's so cool i wonder if she went to the same school i don't christy know christy middleton um she's hmm. she's based out of oakland or yeah oakland she's in oakland california cool i should link you guys yeah, up that would be awesome um, but 
I remember her speaking about vegan dining halls in Texas. That's awesome. So, yeah, you yeah. should definitely link us up. That's because I'm from Oakland, which yeah. is so funny. Um, and then they also have um, all, like a lot of the buildings when I left, but now more and more are lead um, platinum certified. And I don't know if everyone knows, but lead is kind of like the environmental certification for um, construction and, and buildings. And it has to do with like reclaimed materials and, and all kinds of um, awesome things. So um, their football stadium is LEED certified and it is powered by a wind turbine that's on campus. So we got to like be in there in the beginnings of all that and, and kind of like just get the word out on campus, which was really cool. Um, but I had some people in the environmental club and at the Office of Sustainability that were vegan and vegetarian. And I think I, I had just like not even really thought about it, but it's funny. My dad always jokes that I like, I didn't really ever like meat growing up. So when people ask me if it was hard, I'm always like, no, because I just didn't really like it. So my dad always jokes that like, there's pictures of me just eating carbs, fruit and vegetables. And he's like, not much has changed. Cause that's like all I want to eat anyway. But I, I picked up this book. Someone recommended it to me and it was called um, the food revolution by John Robbins, who was the heir of Baskin Robbins. And yeah, <laughs> um, and he wrote this book. It was, he wrote another one called The American Diet, I think, um, which I didn't, I, had, I didn't read before I read his second book. But I just like started reading it and I was like, all right, let's see what the deal is with like not eating meat. Um, you know, Texas is a very meat heavy state. Uh, <laughs> very meat heavy. So it's kind of a part of everything. Um, and so I was like, okay, I need to check this out. And I, I started reading it and I'm a very like logical person. I really want like I like the facts. I want the facts. And if you have the facts, then I'm on board. <laughs> you know, that's pretty much like how it goes. Um, I'm, you know, we're all emotional, but I'm way more fact driven than I am emotionally driven. And I read, it was basically like he went health, environment, animals in the book. And it was basically like, he was like, this is the case for not eating meat and dairy. This is what those industries are saying. And this is like the conclusion that I've come to. And it was like just laid out in such a way where I was just like, yeah, like this is a no brainer. And when I got to the point, I was like health, you know, as a like 19 year old, I was like, whatever, <laughs> like <laughs> who cares? I'm fine. And I was an athlete too. I played basketball in college. So I was like, I don't know, I'm fine. <laughs> but then when I got to the environmental part and I like this whole thread of my life has, has like gone through like being environmentally sustainable and reserving resources. And I remember reading one thing that to like, to this day, I like, when I tell people they just like lose their minds, which is that like one pound of beef takes 2,500 to 5,000 gallons of water. And in being in two States where water was like, you know, scarce, it <laughs> was always something we were thinking of. It was something that I was like, why would I be doing this? If every time I eat one pound of beef, I'm using this much water. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. Like I'm total, I'm, I'm like a hypocrite. I was about to drop the F-bomb. Is that acceptable? On this it, it is. <laughs> That's okay. It is. <laughs> I'm a fucking hypocrite. That's like went through my head. I was like, I can't. And then when I got to the animal part, oh my gosh, like I was, you know, it wasn't what, I, what had, I was already convinced with the water. But once I got to the factory farm stuff, I was just like, what? is this shit? <laughs> like I had no idea, you know, and no one had really talked to me about it. I'd never seen anything about it. I mean, PETA was around, but it's like, it, I just, it was Texas. So I don't, I just like, wasn't really tapped in to those like organizations, although they're from Virginia. So I guess that's not really an excuse, but, <laughs> um, but social media was not around. Facebook had just started, um, like a year or two before. So it wasn't like there was like this abundant amount of information you could just find. Um, you know, on the internet. So it was like, I was like, oh my gosh, all this stuff is so compelling. And when I read about, you know, 
you know, the, the subsidies that the government gives to meat and dairy industries and how like corrupt and political it all is. I was just like, I'm out. I'm so out. <laughs> like, the, like the activist in me that like, I didn't even know was there was just like, no, <laughs> this is checking all the yeah, boxes. Yeah. Like yeah. I will not be contributing to this. And to this day, like I, and I definitely gradually did it. Like I was like, okay, I'm not going to eat beef and chicken. And then I was like, I'm not going to eat, you know, fish. And then eggs just like immediately didn't agree with me. And then it was like, okay, I'm out. And it just, it took like a year or two probably for me to go like 100%, um, which is good. I think, I mean, I always tell people to kind of ease into it because you know, you don't want to like cold Turkey and then for lack of a better <laughs> phrase, <laughs> cold, we're in, we're in, we're in Oregon. So cold tofurkey. Cold tofurkey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah cold tur- tofurkey. Yeah. And then like you, you start getting cravings and you can't handle it. If you just kind of like phase things out, um, to me is like the most sustainable way to do it. And for my body, it just like immediately started rejecting things. Like, you know, it was like, oh, oh. yeah, yeah, like very quickly. So it, like your body's like, no, no. <laughs> but to this day, when people ask me like why I'm vegan, because now it's been, what am I, 33? It's been like 14 years. I, wow. yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> um, I don't want to have the health argument. Like, I don't want to argue with people about it who have no intention of changing their minds. Um, so my like trick there is just to be like, I have no intention of contributing to factory farming and the brutal and unsustainable practices that they use. And that's the only thing I say to people and they literally have nothing to say to it. <laughs> so if anyone wants a tip on how to get someone to not <laughs> like talk to you about it anymore, that's my tip because I like after 14 years, like I will have a conversation with people if they really want to have a conversation, but I have no interest in someone trying to convince me that what I'm doing is not the right thing to do because I have decided that it's the right thing to do. <laughs> you've refined it down to yeah. a... Yeah. You've had 14 years of practice and <laughs> yes. you've got an end product that works. That works. Yeah. People cannot be like, well, factory farming's great for... It. No. <laughs> that has literally never happened and it won't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is funny how um, that is the one thing that... I, I, yeah, everyone will agree on that. Yeah everyone meat eaters will agree that factory farming is disgusting uh, abusive yep. and has no place in yeah. society yet we're still contributing yeah. to it but you know they will agree they will agree and it's not even just animals that those farms poison people with their with their runoff and their their dumping of everything so it's just like there's no it's not just for the animals. It's deep. Yeah. The, yeah, it, yeah. It really is. I mean, I think it was in What the Health. There is a, a section on that where Kip goes to a place in I like the North Carolinas. Carolina or, yeah, yep. yeah. And um, it's just, it's so horrible. Yeah. Because it's, you know, it's clearly targeted. It is. Oh, 100%. It's targeted. You're not going to put a, a hog farm in an affluent society. Nope. <laughs> spray the crops with manure because you're going to get lawsuits because yeah. people can afford the lawsuits. Yeah. So what do they do? They put it in a, a low-income place, predominantly people of color. Who uh, need those jobs too. So yeah. they're in this catch-22 that's like almost impossible. Yeah. Like it's making them sick, but they need work and that's where people work and they don't have money to fight it. And it's the same with any kind of chemical plant too. A lot of like DuPont chemicals and places like that that, you know dump chemicals from Teflon and like nonstick pans and in water in those places. It's like anywhere where there's going to be like a potential scandal, they throw it on a low income neighborhood. Most. Yeah. And a lot of times people of color and just like, they know that their voice isn't going to be elevated, which is really sad and terrible. And yeah, I, it's, 
it's the, and that I don't, I mean, that's like another thing too, is non-toxic, um, toxins are like a huge part of my work. And so I'm very like passionate about that too. <laughs> so it's we like should, this other, like, <laughs> we should chat in that in a bit, yeah. chat about that in a bit. There's so much to unpack from what you've just gone through yeah and i've got to choose yeah you know i'll give yeah choose. what to kind of unpack <laughs> here I'd, I'd like to highlight the fact that it's really cool that your school decided to to go in that trajectory yeah it's it's a shame that it's not like national news yes because i'm sure there's more schools out there that would love the, the knowledge of how to do that yeah of, of how to go about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, there very well could be professional sports teams that would love to know. I'm sure. Yeah. About that. Yeah. Like and it's, it's, I don't even know. I've been so far removed from it. I, cause I graduated, you know, like over a decade ago. Um, so yeah, I don't even know if it is something that they were trying to elevate and get out there. Um, but even just being, you know, I played basketball and I love sports, but even being in a state where, you know, football is, is God, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, tabling at these, at these, you know, these things at the school and wanting to get people involved in environment, environment. And you would see like people, ev like guys wanting to come over, but like, you know, their parents pushing them to like the football table or the like other interests that aren't so mm -hmm. like, you know, masculine. Ma yeah. More masculine. Yeah. And not so, I mean, yeah. I mean, looking, looking after the earth, I guess people could say is inherently feminine, although it shouldn't mm. be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's our home yeah exactly right? it's our yeah, home that's the wildest thing too that's the thing i've never i've never understood and i never will and as a child i didn't get it either like no matter who we are we all live here maybe there's some rich people that are thinking they can go to mars and live there but I mean, maybe I don't, I don't, <laughs> yeah i don't want to go to mars yeah no yeah. but it's like no matter what you believe in any sense of politics or any kind of landscape beliefs religion we all live here and the I guess the main thing is is that some people have been led to believe that we haven't contributed to it and there's nothing we can do about it um and they find some kind of like comfort in that I don't get it but for some reason environmentalism and and animal rights are politicized which to me should be should be the last thing that's part of our political landscape because we all live here and we have to continue to live here <laughs> and if we you know if we don't figure it out then who knows what's going to happen, but I think we have an idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. No, and we can, we can chat about that as well. Um, I'd love to ask you a quick question about Texas. So yeah. you got there and yeah. you didn't become some, you know, meat eating, brisket loving human. No, 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 no. Did I will. I'd be lying if I said I didn't have barbecue there and it wasn't good. I would be lying <laughs> if I said that, but, but no, I didn't. I would have an occasionally, it was never something that was like huge, um, that I liked. I was always one of those kids where like, I had to be like forced to finish the meat on my plate. Usually, unless it was fish, that was like something that I actually liked, but yeah, it was not something that just became a part of like who I was because we moved there. And I, I don't know, um, I am definitely a huge empath. So I think once I like know that an animal is dying, I think it really like, whether I consciously knew it or not, it really did switch the way I thought about eating things. Um, just like from knowing that that's happening. Um, so yeah, it didn't turn me into, it didn't change me at all. Actually moving to Texas. I never felt, I always felt out of place there and yeah, I was there yeah. for so long, which you know, I did fine. I played basketball. I got a scholarship. I went to school. I did all the things that you're supposed to do. You're supposed to do. <laughs> and it all worked out, but I definitely didn't find myself and I wasn't comfortable. I always knew who I was. I was confident in what I wanted. 
like underneath, but outwardly I'd never found, I didn't find myself till I was in college and could be like more on the, like the edge of that, that stuff that I got to work on. But then I moved to LA and I was really able to just kind of like be who I actually was, you know, cause I would start getting tattoos in Texas and I would do things and people would come up to me and say, you know, Jesus still loves you, even though you defile your body, like that kind of stuff happens. And it's like one of those things where you're just like, Oh my gosh, like, please get me out of here because this is just not this is not my home. This is not like it never became my home, which is like kind of sad, but also really like shaped me into being super strong and sure of who I was and what I believed in and not like wavering. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. And then lastly, the, the book. Yes. So the food for, revolution. For, for anyone that doesn't know what Baskin Robbins is mm. and who the author is. Yes. Can we get a little context around that? Yes. And like how, I suppose, how large... Yeah, it is that this guy wrote this book, right? Which I didn't even know until I read it. Um, I was I didn't even think of, I didn't put two and two together. This last name was Robbins, because <laughs> I mean, why would you think that? Tony, yeah, <laughs> I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure Tony Robbins. Yeah, have yeah, 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 exactly. A stake in, in the ice cream company. I was like, company. maybe he just has Robbins yeah. as the last name. <laughs> but I mean, Baskin Robbins is a huge um, ice cream chain, but I think used to have burgers and fries, and I don't think they do anymore. But they did before, I believe. And so he health wise, which is why he led with the health piece, is that a lot of his family died very early from. Um, Um, you know, heart attacks or cardiac, you know, events uh, because they were mostly eating meat and dairy their whole life. Like eat the rainbow was not a part of (laughs) their, their like, you know, daily diet. So it was something that I think he started looking into then and then really explored what that industry was really doing to the environment and how um, cruel it was to the animals involved in all of it. So what's his conclusion on the whole thing, like personally? Does he remove himself from the company or how does it work for him? You know, I don't want to like say something that isn't correct because I haven't read the book in a long time. But as far as I remember, and we can fact check this. (laughs) And for anyone listening. And for anyone listening, please feel free if you've read it. I am pretty sure he removed himself, if I remember correctly, from the whole thing and just like kind of was like, I, you know, can't be involved in this. But I'd have to go back and check. But I think it was his because he went pretty hard into the like, into that, you know, being anti that. Totally. Yeah. Okay. Cool. That's the, that's kind of the stuff that I wanted to unpack there, cool. and then I want to. I really want to get back into the environment. So yes. Having you know that kind of light bulb moment of like where everything connects, and like you've just got this deep rooted love for the environment. Mm. You've been working away at it and learning about it for your whole life, and then this, you know, this vegan thing comes into play. Yeah. And you see that, I suppose you really can play a huge role personally. Mm-hmm. You know. What was it? Twenty five hundred gallons for a pound. Of yeah, to five thousand. And we're talking about, you know, less time in the shower. Yeah. When you can just not have the freaking burger. Yeah, just take whatever length of shower you'd like. <laughs> it, that blows yeah. my mind. Yeah. That honestly blows my mind. Yeah. But, what was it like then, uh, with your mum? Yeah. So did you guys start having conversations about food and the environment and yeah. yeah. You know, I will have to say I have not really pushed my parents that far on it. When when they visit, they'll eat vegan. When I'm there, they'll eat like, you know, they'll eat vegan with me. Um but they haven't they haven't made that switch and I really don't know if they ever will, which is interesting. <laughs> um 
you know, and it's like, it is, it's like, you know, I don't think it's a huge lifestyle change to be honest. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's way more economical, which is really nice. Um, if you, you know, you, if you don't buy like the, the faux meats and stuff, which and faux cheeses, which is totally fun and delicious, but if you want to keep it economical, you super can. Um, and so I just, yeah, I, we've had conversations, but you know, mom and daughter relationships are very complicated. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, it's, I mean, it's, it's tough. And, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm never looking for people to be like, oh, yeah, it's all, it's all rainbows and butterflies. Mom yeah. and dad went vegan and it's, yeah. it's, you know, I just, I genuinely want to hear yeah. how the interactions went and, you know, what has transpired since. Yeah. So that leaves us with, you know, it's a good kind of snapshot of society right now. Yeah. You know, we've got a lot of people marching for the environment. Yes. Which is awesome. Yeah not going to take that away from anyone no uh, i went to the one in portland in september or whenever it was and it was amazing there yeah. were so many school kids there and and um don't want to take marching away from anyone no definitely no. it's really important but the actions you take post marching are really important yeah right <laughs> yeah so if we're all in this phase now where environment is top of mind yeah we're so passionate about it that we're actually taking time out of our own days to go into town or wherever. Yeah, to, or strike. Yeah, yeah, or strike or yeah. to write a sign or to take our kids in or whatever it might be. Yeah. We're taking these steps, but why are we still unable yeah. to just take you know, some ounce of responsibility right. and say, when I go home, I can make a difference with, with, with what's on the plate or the family table. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be every single meal. Like even, (laughs) even progressively getting there as you were talking about before is a huge step. Yeah. So where do you think we are now? And like, how do you think we can actually get there? Whew. Yeah, that is, that's, that's a loaded (laughs) question. No, it's hard. It's super hard. And I think with, with my parents there, where we are now is that they're way more open to it. They're like, I could definitely do this and still be like, feel satisfied and feel like I'm doing something. And I, and I think they've cut down a lot. They haven't made the full transition. I don't know if they ever will, but it is something where like, yes, I would love for everyone to go vegan. But when I tell people who are really like resistant to it, I'm like, Hey, just eat meat like twice a week. Like that does so much. Yeah. <laughs> like it does so much. And I, and I want to be like the super, super hopeful, positive outlook person and be like everyone's gonna go vegan but I do think sometimes it's easier to be like look if you just cut down and only eat meat once or twice a week it's a huge difference and you don't have to like not do something all the time yeah (laughs) you know just like it's better and there's this oh my gosh this it was so funny I worked at a diner in LA for the longest time and they made um, in-house vegan burgers and they re-, re they redid one and it was really good. And I asked my coworker, I was like, Hey, have you tried the new, um, you know, vegan garden burger patty that they made back there? And he was like, Oh, I'm not vegetarian or vegan. And I was like, well, I mean, you don't have to be vegetarian or vegan to eat a vegan burger. And he was like, huh? <laughs> and I was like, okay, <laughs> like this is something that people don't even think about trying because they're like, I'm not vegan, which is kind of, brings me to like the label of it that I I feel like people have trouble with. And I think there's like a huge pressure in actually saying that you're vegan because you know, the vegan community can be not very forgiving when you slip up. Definitely. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. And then on the other side, the the regular community can be very aggressive 
when you've decided to, the people to make that, that. Exactly. Yeah. So and speaking of Tom, I think exactly. that's why he hasn't done that. Yeah, I think he's has he spoken has he spoken to you about it oh yeah yeah we talk about it yeah cool because so what kind of stuff comes he's up? pretty much ve- he's like i mean i haven't seen him eat, eat something that isn't vegan and i don't know how long so there we go dude's vegan <laughs> yeah dude's vegan yeah just, just doesn't want to doesn't want to make the claim he doesn't right. want to have the pressure the kind of purest pressure that comes with it sometimes um which i totally get and he's just like i get a lot of shit at work but i think at work it doesn't really matter vegetarian or vegan i don't think it makes a difference they're just making fun of him because it's like not the manly thing to do right supposedly in a in a uh, in a job where you're like yeah you know like, tuning cars and right. whatnot yeah it's very masculine and then the east coast it was a, he gets a lot of shit from from people back there that are just like you know like what are you doing like and of course it's always like your girlfriend made you be vegan or, and it's like no like i've never made anyone do anything it's just it's funny how much leading by example actually works and people think that you're actually just putting pressure on people but you're like no like i've never i've never said hey you should go vegan i don't think i've ever said that to anyone <laughs> to be honest i think because i've always just been like oh yeah i don't do this because of this and then like continue the conversation or just like post things about it or just like always, always bring my cup. Like it was funny. I, I like, um, I do, um, content for, um, a nonprofit and we posted a picture about like the reusable cup and I, you know, you comment on things just to like boost engagement sometimes. So I was like, Oh yeah, you know, I always bring my cup. And like my friend from college was like, dude, you've been bringing your cup for like 12 years. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, dude, like you just, if you just do things, people like notice that you're doing things. And I think that's kind of the, I'm kind of a quiet person. You can't tell from this like, you know, (laughs) episode, (laughs) but I just, have, I'm not, I'm, a, I'm a more assertive now than I ever was. So when I first started doing this work and, and deciding I was going to live this way, it was really just like, even in basketball, I was like captains of teams, but I was never loud. It was always just like, I lead by example. That's what I do. And if I keep doing it, if I'm consistent, if I like stand by my values and I'm aligned with them, people will see like why I'm doing it and will be inspired by it. And usually that's always been the case. And that is a fantastic <laughs> advert for leadership. Yeah. Leadership doesn't have to be this thing where you're the most vocal. No. You're the loudest. You know, you're the one that bands everyone together with, you know, some epic speech. Yeah. Every time, you know, you're going to play basketball or something. Yeah. It no. can be that just the power of consistency. Like 12 years of, imagine what the numbers would be like. 12 years of bringing your cup yeah. to get a coffee. <laughs> yeah. If it's once or twice a day, or if you're an addict and you have six coffees yeah, a day. Exactly. Yeah. The numbers yeah. of the amount of single-use uh, cardboard or plastic you would have saved yeah. is just astronomical. And, you know, people always say, like, one person isn't going to make a difference. Yeah. No. That clearly makes a difference. Like, clearly. And, and it's about not putting so much pressure on yourself, too, because I think a lot of people do. And hashtag zero waste puts a lot of pressure on people, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, I've seen a lot of friends who are in the vegan space, like, start, you know, going into, like, the zero waste, like, mm-hmm. space. And it's a lot of pressure on top of everyone trying to, like catch you slipping up on being vegan and then you have people trying to like tell you oh that's bad for the environment and you're just like oh my gosh you know like yeah we are all surv- we are all living on this planet therefore we are bad for it <laughs> like no human is just like i mean native people were the closest by far but no hum- no modern human most likely is like is not terrible for the environment we are just like that is what we've built yeah. so here we are we're not going to be this like you know 
carbon neutral being (laughs) as much as we wish we could be and putting so much pressure. So when people are, you know, I, if I forget my cup and I get a plastic one or now a lot of them here are compostable, which is nice. Um, I am not, I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm not going to like beat myself up about it. It's like, it's just, it's counterintuitive and it, and it, and it just makes me feel like shit. So like, why I do this as much as I can. And when I forget, I forget. (laughs) And you've got to be able to, you know, you've got to be able to get back on the horse and and go again because no matter what is it, what it is in life, if you slip up and you let the first slip up be the end of it, right. You know, you can, you can apply that rule against so many, so many, things. so many things, so many things. And it's like so many things. It's interesting that that kind of purist culture we have around these things too, which is like, is really hard. Cause for, for me now where I am in this journey is that I know corporations are the game changers And so for me, it's like when corporations change, like that's a win. We keep pushing them, but it's a win. So like the other day on a channel, we posted about Taco Bell taking out, um, they were removing food containers that have PFAS chemicals, which are like really, really, really toxic and like a huge deal because, and someone's like, why would you even give Taco Bell like any press or, or, or like give them any like, you know, kudos at all. And it's like, because millions, maybe billions of people eat Taco Bell a year and now they're not eating out of containers that have toxic chemicals in them. So like that, the difference that makes in our like chemical exposure and our risk of cancer is like monumental. And to not give any kudos is, would be wild. It would be so wild to not like recognize that and, yeah. and, and be like, yes, this isn't perfect, but this is something. And you know, where we lose a lot of the time is that we stop at those wins and we're like, you know, that's like the end of it. It's like, no, you keep going, you keep pressuring. That doesn't mean that we're going to stop trying to get them to like be plant-based or not use plastic at all with chemicals in it or any of that stuff. But, um, that kind of like purist outlook that's put on everyone, especially small businesses, small businesses can't do anything (laughs) without like people being like, cool, well, you're vegan and cruelty-free, but you're not zero waste or cool. You're, you know, your supply chain isn't like, you know, 100% sustainable. It's like, how would anyone stay in business? And it's really hard, I think, for people to stand for anything because if they stand for every, anything, people want them to stand for everything and be perfect which is like, no one's perfect. And <laughs> all, all whilst they're in their armchair not being perfect. Right. So it's this, it's this crazy cycle. Yeah. But the more we act, speak up, put pressure on companies, the yeah. more we progress. I don't, I don't know. Lately, I've been saying on my Instagram is just like start tomorrow or today yeah. and get better the next day. Get better. And get better and yeah. get better. It's not about being like, I'm going to nail this today yeah. and I'm going to nail it every day after that. It's like, no, yeah. give yourself some wiggle, some wiggle room yes. and just keep going and going and going. You um, need wiggle room. We're like, we're flawed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, just by existence. <laughs> so we kind of, we kind of left you in Texas. Right. And pretty much out of college. Yes. So I'd love to hear, you know, the next, what kind of work you went <laughs> yeah. into, what your experience like was with work uh, and how it all kind of ties up into uh, what you're all about yeah. with your own personal projects now. Oh man, quite the journey. So I moved to Los Angeles immediately after I told you, I never felt at home in Texas, like immediately, like two weeks after graduating college, I moved to Los Angeles <laughs> and I had been going to Los Angeles for 
five years. My aunt had lived there since like 1990. So, but I've been going there my whole life basically. But I, for the five years before I graduated college, I was there doing internships every summer. So I was like priming this move. I'm like, I'm going to Los Angeles. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I might go to law school. I want to do environmental law. I want to go like head to head with corporations. And when I got there, I, um, well, first of all, it was during the market crash. So I did not get a job right away. <laughs> I graduated in 2009, <laughs> early 2009. Um, and there were like, so I was serving tables. I served tables for like 15 years and I got there and I got my first job finally, like 10 months later at an environmental nonprofit called tree people in LA. And I went to school for marketing, business marketing. And I had this like, kind of like weird shame around liking consumerism and being super fascinated by what persuades people to do things. Um, because it is like totally like the antithesis of like my entire existence. <laughs> <laughs> when you think about it, you're like consumerism, capitalism, all the things that kind of like make this vicious circle vicious. <laughs> That's what it is. But I'm like fascinated by it. And so I was like, okay, cool. I went to school for this. I'm going to use this for good, for good whatever that means. I'm going to go work at a nonprofit. So that's what I did. <laughs> so I went to tree people. Like I said, social media was just getting started. So I like started in social media in like online marketing and just like started their web presence there. And it was an amazing organization where they tried to improve the watershed in LA by planting trees and parks on streets, um, in reef, like reforesting, restoring forests like the Angeles and the Santa Monica mountains, uh, from all the fires and like trying to get fruit trees in food deserts in LA. So it was like amazing work. And it was my first job out of college. And I learned so much <laughs> in the like digital landscape and um, started going to UCLA. I was like, nah, I don't want to go to law school. That's like, I think I like this like grassroots part of it. I like being at the bottom. Um, so I went to UCLA to get a sustainability certificate or a certificate in global sustainability. And we had to do this like project. I don't know. I don't even remember what it was, but my, I chose to do for six weeks to make like basically like um, there's that woman online, Lauren something. She has that, sh that package free shop now where she has Lauren all, like, Singer. Yeah. She has all her trash in a jar. Trash so, is for tosses. Yeah, exactly. So I basically did the, like the same thing then, like in 2009 or whatever it was like, I was like, okay, I'm going to go six weeks and I'm going to try to make as little waste as possible. And like pretty much ended up with the same thing, like basically like the amount in a jar. And it was like really eye opening to me about how much waste was in everything. And then like how many like chemicals were in everything. When I was a teenager, I started like having massive skin reactions to like Dove and Pantene. And so I was getting really like really aware of all these things in a really small period of time. And I started an environmental blog called Low Impact Betty. I don't think a lot of people know that. <laughs> and had that for a long time, for like several years. And I just like wrote about things that I was learning and my journey in the space and how to be more sustainable. Started making my own products. I was working at Tree People. Um, then I was doing like freelance copywriting and marketing. Um, I love writing and the blogging was part of that. Um, and I was doing this blog and I was just like, I kind of want to like start doing this blog seriously, but also like, I don't know what to do with it. And I was making my own products at the time because I had massive reactions to everything and I wanted things to be like non-toxic and vegan and cruelty free. So I just started making my own like, you know, lotion and deodorant and all that stuff. And this woman was like, well, you're making your own stuff. Why don't you just sell it? And I was like, no, that sounds hard. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so for like, I didn't do it. And then I got a job at PETA which I didn't even know about. And I got a job at PETA when I was like You 20. didn't know you got the job? No, or? I didn't know about PETA. Yeah, I knew I got I'm the kidding. job. It took like four months. <laughs> it was a very intense interview process. But they opened a, um, an office in Echo Park. And I was like, I need a marketing job. All these marketing jobs 
like look fun. They're all in animal rights. And I didn't really know much about PETA, um, which is funny because they're huge and really intense. And everyone was like, what are you, you're working for PETA? I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go work for PETA, which was like an amazing experience. Um, amazing. And I started making my own products and I just like one day was like, you know what? maybe she's, she had something about like selling these products. I'm really passionate about non-toxic stuff and having products be vegan and just having everyone like having access to things that are just like non-toxic and not cruel that are just like on the shelf. So I just decided to start my own body care company. And the first name I thought of was bare bones body care. And I was just like, cool. <laughs> yeah. And my friend made a logo and the first logo we made, I was like, cool. <laughs> And that was it. We just like started, I started printing labels and like was working at PETA and making this stuff. And I was a celebrity marketing coordinator there, which was hilarious because I lived in LA and I, I was not, I'm not into celebrities or any of that stuff, which I think is why they gave me the job because I'm not into celebrities and was doing the celebrity ads there. Like I'd rather go naked than wear fur. I just, just copywriting for all of those ads. And it was a really great experience. And like, we turned out like five celebrity ads a month for like a, almost a year and a half. It was wild. <laughs> it was like so busy and I learned so much and I learned so much about animal rights. Um, one of the like most wild experiences I had there was going to, so we were a marketing and communications office. So we didn't do much. Like we did like demonstrating at, at SeaWorld and Ringling Brothers when they came in, we like went in at like, you know, three in the morning and caught them trying to like, you know, sneak in with the animals and like did the demonstrating and like really cool sh shit like that. But they didn't ever undercover investigation in Southern California where this man had um, reptiles in a corporate park like building and like 20,000 feeder rice and rice, mice and rats. And he was, just abusing them. He wasn't feeding the reptiles. He was focusing on the mice and rats and they were really diseased. And, um, we went in and seized it and like had to help with the animals. And it was like the, what PETA did for me was really give me like serious, like empathy and sympathy for reptiles. I think more than anything. Cause it was, I've snakes really scare me and I think they're fascinating and I would never hurt them. It was never, it's not in my like you know, it's just not in my nature to hurt an animal ever, but it was just, there was something I was like really scared of and maybe didn't have so much like sympathy for, um, because they're such scary creatures to us, like face value, you know? Right. Um, but going in there and seeing these like snakes that were like, hadn't been fed in who knows, they're so emaciated. I've never seen an emaciated reptile and it was, it was like so sad and so heartbreaking and to see that kind of neglect from people and that people were capable of that was, a pretty life-changing experience, I think. Um, and having to be there to, you know, open drawers where like some mice and rats had been drowned because the irrigation system wasn't working. And like, just, it was like such an eye-opening experience of, of how heartless people are and what we're kind of up against and just like really like lit a fire under my ass even more. I was like, I can't, just anything I'm doing that isn't this all the time. I just like, I need to be, I need to be a part of this. I need to like stop this kind of thing from happening. And so I just like, yeah, from then on, I was just like, I'm going to talk about animal rights more. Like I'm going to be more vocal about it. And that was like one of the like turning points for sure, where I was like, yeah, I'm not going to be a wet blanket <laughs> about it. <laughs> like I was never a wet blanket. I was always very like lead by example. But I think when it came to this stuff, it was like, I had to be like, this shit is happening whether you want to be like blissfully ignorant or not. And I wasn't going to be the person that didn't like kind of like say it. 
<laughs> I mean, Peter are definitely like one of those companies that are polarizing. Very. <laughs> in the world, obviously, yeah. you know, people, uh, I suppose, have very opposite mm-hmm. reactions to their uh, to their billboards or their street activism or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but it's it's important. It's important, and they draw a line, and that's their line. And you know what they're going to say. You always know because they're super consistent. Yeah. <laughs> like if you ask about animal cruelty, their answer is always going to be the same. And, you know, people have different opinions about their um, policies on euthanasia. That's something that like people can talk about for hours. But, you know, it's like a huge topic that we probably shouldn't even yeah, tap no. into. <laughs> well, that, I mean, yeah. that's, that's really cool that you you got to have an experience in such a, a well-known company, yeah. uh, deep in animal rights. You know, you get to align on that level. Yeah. Uh, maybe something you weren't so aligned with or, or so deeply rooted in because yeah. of the environmentalism you were doing. Yeah. So it was cool to kind of uh, go deep into another topic or a, another area yeah. uh, that veganism uh, kind of is all about. Right. And it like more became a lifestyle for me then at 25. Like I had been vegan in my diet since I was 19. But before I was 25 and I started working at PETA, you know, you can't bring animal products in there. You can't wear them. You know, I, I had not really like, I think I had a pair of Doc Martens that were like genuine leather, but I wasn't like, you know, couldn't afford real (laughs) of anything. So it wasn't really something I had, but I hadn't really even thought about it as like an entire lifestyle of cruelty that I you know, was deciding not to be a part of anymore. Like things that you wouldn't even think about weren't vegan. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. (laughs) So what, I suppose, I mean, I could ask you about, like, did you work with any celebrities? (laughs) Not really, no. no. They would do the photo shoots and I would like, I would um, do the copy and, and, and pull it through, like getting the international ads and things like that. So I got to kind of just like be behind the scenes, which I much prefer usually. (laughs) And you see your copy like in places all right. around the world yeah yeah that's yeah cool. like in Times square and like on sunset boulevard and like that was super cool yeah yeah that's awesome yeah so what was next after that so next after that i had bare bones body care which yep. was this like awesome journey of like of meeting other vegan business owners meeting a lot of the people that we're friends with here in the pacific northwest crew like chris and jasmine um yeah, Caitlin, I met through them. I just, so many people like Heather, Madame Sugar, (laughs) like so many people that I met tabling and selling my products that I would have never met if I wouldn't have started that company and just like bonding on having like conscious companies and, and having conscious consumerism and trying to be better at that and trying to give people options, um, which was super cool. And I, I was doing that and, um, I started writing for Non-Toxic Revolution, which ended up being the next job I had, which is part of Keep Abreast, is a breast cancer nonprofit that focuses on prevention. Um, their tagline is prevention is the cure, which is like, why are we looking for a cure that isn't prevention? Because <laughs> we need yeah. to see what's causing these diseases um, so and, we can stop them from happening. And, and so, that goes deeply <laughs> so into deep. <laughs> all, you know, what you were talking about earlier um, yeah. with, I suppose, dependence on the government and yeah. um, pharmaceutical companies. Pharmaceutical the companies. profitable nature of those. I mean, the founder of Keep Abreast wrote a like, I think it was like the 15 year mark of Keep Abreast, which now they're at the 20th this year, 2020. Um, the one thing she learned in this, like the 15 years she'd been doing that was that cancer is profitable. And that's like the hard, like when, you know, for lack, you know, no pun intended, that's the hardest pill to swallow is like, yeah, people are making a ton of money off people being sick and they have no interest of people not being sick. Like, what does that do for them? 
And it's like, you know, it's like when they were talking about um, universal healthcare, and I think Paul Ryan was up there and someone was like, I can't, like, I shouldn't have to convince you that you need to care about people. <laughs> like, that's it right there is it's like, how do you convince someone that they should care about people? Um, and that's kind of like where that is. It's like, where people are pouring millions and billions of dollars into finding a cure for cancer, which is, you know, definitely like honorable work. And I don't want to say otherwise, but if we're not looking at the underlying cause of these diseases, which only 10 to 15% are actually family history, 85 to 90% are environmental factors and exposures, then we're We're not going down the right lane. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We're going the opposite direction. We're on a very slow path to, yeah, you know, a, and again, a possible. Again, who's to say that there hasn't been a cure that's been found? Like we said, it's profitable. Like it's just mm. one of those things where it's like if people are making money off of it, it's going to keep going. Um, Definitely. Yeah, and so no, it's very it's it's a hard topic. It's dark. You know, it's a hard <laughs> yeah. topic. I can see you like biting your tongue. Yeah, and um, <laughs> you know, it's it's something that has affected so many of us. Yeah. Um, so it's personal to everyone to everyone and we don't you know like I've had grandparents that have died Mm -hmm. from cancer and you know I've got friends that have passed away from cancer and there's different forms of cancer yeah um so you don't want to lump them all in one bucket and yeah but it is something that we need to look at in a different yeah through a different lens because the way we've been going about it it hasn't pay dividends like it hasn't worked we're not getting better we're not getting better and the um the death rates are going down but the rates of incident are not like we're still getting the rates of cancer like incidents are going up cases are going up people are getting cancer more we're dying less which is awesome but the way they calculate that right isn't it like five years after yeah. first diagnosis or something like that. Yeah. And then after that, it doesn't actually get included in a statistic. Yeah. So they're kind of fudging the numbers. Yeah. Which is yeah. like this false hope, right? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And it's, it's interesting because non-toxic revolution is part of um, a breast cancer organization, but the, the chemicals we talk about are, are, they're all, a lot of these like really bad ones are linked to all kinds of cancers. It's all kind of like rooted in some of the same things, you know, and, and we see these cases of breast cancer, like in from soldiers in Afghanistan who go and are like, are exposed to this very potent, like chemical for like this short amount of time and they come back and they have breast cancer. So like, it's very like, there's, there's this correlation that companies that are making chemicals and putting them in our everyday things don't want us to make. Um, and it is very, it can be a very hopeless, thing to think about you know because it's like how you know it's not just what we eat and what we put on our bodies it's like the furniture and the the houses we're living in and and the you know in like when FEMA put like trailers in um, New Orleans for Hurricane Katrina um, a lot of people were getting sick from the formaldehyde and the plywood in the trailers and it's like what how can you feel empowered (laughs) to like in those situations it's a really like hard and like you know dark place to be at times but when you have those like taco bell victories and things like that that's when like we have to keep going on that momentum because like these changes can be made and these companies can be moved and i want it to be like empowering and inclusive and not have the burden be on the consumer of just in change like you know totally flipping our entire lifestyles to not get sick which is just you know such fucking bullshit (laughs) Um, yeah you would 
it would be great if everyone was just looking out for each other. Yeah. Like, and not being like, <laughs> I'm going to sell this product that can potentially harm people in yeah. really damaging ways. Yeah. And, you know, it is super frustrating. So, we're at yeah, the where point, are we? <laughs> we're at the point where we've got like maybe, you know, 15 minutes okay. to go. And I'm having a really hard time in my head going, Figuring out okay, <laughs> do we talk about like, you know, what you're doing? Um, yeah. In the, the space of business and introverts. Yeah. But I feel like we're on this path of yeah. just chatting about some toxins. That, yeah, um, we can talk about that. And I can just tell people where to find me at the end. Yeah, but yeah. I think I think what it lends itself to is another podcast. Yeah. So I would you know, love that. We're we're local, so it's it's True. it's we're very in the crew. easy in the crew. Exactly, it's <laughs> yeah. easy to sit down and have a chat. So what are the things that you've found? Yeah. That are just in our everyday life. Mm-hmm that are dangerous, mm-hmm. what we should be looking out for and easy swaps yeah. in the house or whatever it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is definitely a good path to go yeah. down, I think. Yeah. So I, so to, to like round out where I went, like I started writing for non-toxic revolution. They asked me to work for them. So for six years, I did that where I was able to go on Vans Warp Tour and go to these music festivals and meet young people where they are and tell them how to switch products in their life and what to avoid and things they can do to lower their risk of cancer. Um, so that was something that I did for six years and wrote about and actually convinced the organization to make that program completely vegan. Um, and while the entire organization isn't completely vegan, it pretty much at this point, like, is like headed that way and doesn't like never promotes like meat and dairy in a diet. So that was like a switch that was able to happen while I was there. That was really, really awesome to be able to be like, look, this stuff is really correlated to like cancer rates and health issues and not some not so serious as cancer, but some just as serious that aren't cancer, like heart disease um, and diabetes and, and, you know, blood pressure and cholesterol and those types of things. Um, So it was like, that was kind of like, monumentous to be able to be in an organization and be like you know what yeah like we're not going to even like we're going to call this program vegan and we're never going to promote like meat and dairy as an option for people because it isn't it is it is not eating that stuff is preventative in nature and that's what our mission is so it was really cool (laughs) to have that like be part of like you know something I could bring to the table at that organization and be able to like you know bring to people that we met at Vans Warped Tour and all these kids that are kind of in middle America and really try to make it like digestible and accessible. And that's where I like want to like definitely emphasize that not everyone has the same access to things, (laughs) which I think is something that here on the West Coast, we're in certain areas, not the entire West Coast. We are really spoiled about what we have access to. Um, And when I was on Warped Tour, like, you know, we'd hit, all you'd see is a Walmart in these places and that's all people kind of had. And now you have things like Amazon and stuff, which are problematic on their own, but also like, that's why I'm, you know, when people, you know, say shop local and support small businesses, I'm all for it for sure. 100%. But also being in places that are so remote, I kind of have to be like, well, that's a really kind of privileged thing to say, (laughs) you know, (laughs) to be like, don't use Amazon because all these people that were like, you know, out, you know, haven't had access to things are now having access to things that they never have. And I feel like it's a little bit of a tough place to be in to just be like, don't do that. Shop local when there's nothing. (laughs) But yeah, if if, if Walgreens is the local. Is the local or Walmart is the local. Then you're just feeding the beast yeah you're just feeding the beast and also but like now 
you know, we did a campaign on deodorant and back to your question of like, what are these key things and what are the things I recommend people switching? Um, and you know, first, I mean, your diet, of course, like we're here because of that. And that does wonders for, for your, your health and well-being, and, and, you know, eating more of a whole food plant-based diet will always be better <laughs> toxin wise. If you can avoid pesticides, try if you can't all the time, which not everyone can, um, there is, if you go to environmental working group, they're a great organization to see, like they have this thing called the dirty dozen and the clean 15. And they suggest like things that you definitely 100% should buy organic and things that you can get away with not. Um, so it's not always possible for people. And, um, you know, I always try to buy organic where I can, because it does make a demand for that. But if you can't things like bananas, avocado, things that have thick skin, you can get away with not doing that. Um, and then I would say whatever you're using daily, whatever you're using, like products daily, like toothpaste, deodorant, things that you are doing every single day. The real issue is like prolonged exposure. Like what is the compounded exposure of these chemicals that you're exposing yourself to? So I always tell people, start with things you use every day, switch those out. Those are the ones to start with. Because if you're getting a tattoo every once in a while, or you're getting your hair like chemically straightened every once in a while, or you're using, you know, a perfume that has toxins in it every once in a while, those aren't the things that are going to really move the needle in that like you know unhealthy direction it's the things that you're using on a daily basis so start with deodorant start with toothpaste start with body lotion your skin's your largest organ it's very absorbent <laughs> i was just about yeah. to say it's like such an easy thing to forget that yeah. like the skin yeah. is a living breathable yeah. organ and go straight into the bloodstream it's like very you know <laughs> it's like very permeable very permeable um you know, there's, there's huge movements going on around menstrual care right now. The um, ladies are, <laughs> our vagina is the most permeable surface um, on anybody, I, I'm pretty sure. And um, there are huge like bills and legislation going through to get companies to, first of all, test chemicals for safety because they don't, they don't have to. It's very, like, very, very poorly regulated. Second of all, um, actually disclosing those ingredients on the box or label because they don't have to. Yeah. Yeah, fragrance, not at all, because it's proprietary, but on menstrual products, nothing. Yeah, play, play, um, companies like Seventh Generation um, and um, Sustain Naturals, companies like that have volunteered to put their ingredients on the box. And, you know, there are now, there's so many, I'm, you know, it makes me so, 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 so happy to go into Target and Walmart and CVS and places like that where bringing it for full circle, people may only have that option. You go in there and you have organic tampons and organic pads and you have organic and non-toxic deodorant and you have all these things. And when we started those campaigns back then, you really, it was like Tom's and that was it. And Tom's is better than, you know, <laughs> Old Spice, <laughs> but, but <laughs> um, it's, it's so game changer now. These companies are adopting these things. They're letting small companies in. They're giving them chances and they're giving more people access to these products. And the more we buy them, like we have that power. When people say vote with your dollar, I 100% believe in that. Like if you're going to do anything, buy the products that you believe in, buy the products that are staying accountable and that don't want to. And, you know, take it in stride. Sometimes you're not going to be perfect. You know, <laughs> like, or, can't, or don't have access or, or don't have access afford. or you can't do everything or can't afford it is like, and 
I always try to stress with people too, like, you know, you can make it if you don't have time, there are great things to buy. Like you can buy great zero waste products, pro products, or you could just bring utensils from your house that you already have. You don't have to buy all this stuff. There is a level of consumerism in sustainability that doesn't make sense. <laughs> that is true. I've actually never thought about, yeah. that's strange that we, or I haven't thought about that, but yeah, like buying a utensil set. Yeah. When you have the utensils yeah. already. Yeah. Yeah. That is an interesting one. People, I think the idea is that people will, will feel good about, you know, bringing a bamboo set around and that's cool if you want to totally. Like I have one and I've had it for years and it lasts for years and yeah, if you're not like totally disposable with it, like, but if you like don't want to do it and you, or you can't afford it and you know, you don't have to, I bring a cloth napkin from home. I like, you know, like if you, you know, most people buy like spaghetti sauce, just like wash that out and use that jar and bring it around and put water in it. You don't have to spend 35, 40, $50 on a water bottle, you know, if you don't can't or don't want to. Um, and it's just really like when it comes to just food containers, stay away from plastic, don't heat them up. <laughs> There's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of toxic chemicals in plastic. Um, if you're, you know, you have your own home, check those products. There's a lot of people that have actually died from paint strippers. Methylene chloride is really toxic. You know, Monsanto has their like roundup weed killer glyphosate stuff, like just on the, on the like shelves. The hard thing is, is we try to get the legislation out for them to not be able to do that, but it is really toxic for people. And, um, those are the times that you have to just be your own health advocate and spreading the word and like telling your family to like, you know, steer clear of that stuff is like kind of the biggest thing you can do. Word of mouth is the biggest thing you can do. Share, use those social media channels for, you know, the power that they have, which is to spread the word about, you know, what's healthy for people and what can help them, you know, live a thriving life and not support companies that don't care about us. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. One thing that um, you kind of referred to before yeah. was like the chemicals coming off tef Teflon pans. Right. Yeah. So I just thought of that. So this is something that I haven't done any research mm -hmm. on. It's something that I should but I'd love to learn yeah. a snippet because we've got uh, a little bit of time left. Yeah. But in terms of like actual cookware, what can we look to in terms of pots and pans and yeah. what's healthy, what's not? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, nonstick is generally not. <laughs> they coat it in some like some serious chemicals and there's a whole documentary on it on Netflix. If you, oh, what is it called? It's like, yeah, it's about Teflon and I, I, I could get back to you on what it's actually totally. called, yeah. um, but it's really interesting. Um, but, um, oh my gosh, I'm totally missing. What are those? Cast iron, generally good because <laughs> they're not coating them and you're just doing like the oil and things like that, you know? And then there's a bunch of like non-toxic go if, and I can send you the link when you put this podcast up, mm -hmm. um, non-toxic revolution. There is a whole, um, article that I read or I, or I wrote like years ago, a, and, and put a bunch of links on what you can buy. I'm not like in my mind off the top of my head. I couldn't completely like be like completely sure and tell people like the brands off the top of my head, but there is stuff out there, um, that you can use. Um, and it's, yeah, it's one of those things where it's just like, you know, per being perfect about all this is really hard. <laughs> right. And it, and I don't want people to freak out. That's the, that's the most I, I like, I want people to just do the best they can because really the burden shouldn't be put on the consumer. And it's like when someone gets cancer, the last thing you want to say to them is like, like, how is your lifestyle? <laughs> like, <laughs> like that is like not, you know, the, there's so many, like these products shouldn't even be on the shelves. They shouldn't be, um, they, people shouldn't have to 
make that choice or do the research or yeah and so for there is an article and I can send it to you so people can just like click the links but I think you know following people like non-toxic revolution like toxic free future like environmental working group um there's so many great organizations that are working on legislation to get companies to just like stop poisoning people and that is like gonna be the biggest shift and make the biggest change and if you know it takes a lot of people to not buy their products to make a difference but I think it makes a difference and I would never say that it wouldn't like when people you know get really pessimistic and they're like well what does it matter I'm like it matters because you're here and you know you want to live in alignment with what you believe in and if like you know I plastic is terrible and we our entire like existence is like you know we we use it for so much but like for me I don't want plastic in the ocean as this huge like you know person who's like I love the ocean and the environment so it's like I'm not going to eat fish because most of the plastic in the ocean is from fish nets you know and fishing and it's like if people feel empowered about not using a straw cool you know I'm still going to tell people that like not eating fish would make a bigger impact. But I think the main like impact of campaigns, like the plastic straw campaign that I think a lot of people have a lot of opinions about is that people can get behind something if it really, really, really like gets in their head. And really, and it's like, also not personal. It's not personal. So there's nothing yeah. personal about the choice of switching the plastic straw to a stainless steel one. Yeah. But once you start talking about not eating oh, fish... Yeah. <laughs> Shit yeah. hits the fan. Shit hits the fan. And it's like this inter... I mean, I feel like it's a, it's a very like... When someone... I felt like when someone's come at me about my choices not to eat meat, it's definitely been from a place of like internal guilt. Yeah. And I try to navigate that in the most um, kind way possible. Because <laughs> um, I am a very direct person. So I just want to like throw the facts out sometimes and just like kind of like... <laughs> really ruin someone's day <laughs> Monica, monica's super nice though. Yeah, yeah super nice though. she really is honestly <laughs> super nice i don't want to ruin your day no. um but you know it's that like people want to make a difference and they but at the same time i think sometimes we want it to be easy and change isn't easy or We've pass seen, the buck yeah or pass the buck or be like oh it's not my problem anymore but it's everyone's problem (laughs) we're all on the rock yeah and no movement if you look at the movements from the past that have made a big difference and a big impact and giving people like rights that they didn't have before um you know it gets really intense (laughs) and you know I'm all about like peaceful protest of course and people not getting hurt but like I think people need to know that when they stand up for something um it's not always going to be well received and it's not always going to be comfortable and you're going to have to have those conversations if you decide to stand for it, but you'll feel better not giving in to convenience, not giving in to hypocrisy and comfort. <laughs> totally. Well, I think on a, on a timing issue, <laughs> yeah, here, yeah. we're going to, we're going to wrap it up, but yeah. I, you know, I'd love to have you back on. I would love to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's cool that we cross paths. Yes. We both think you're uh, you an awesome human. <laughs> Yay. So yeah, really stoked to have you on. Um, I hope that wasn't it, too intense. Oh my God. No, it was I awesome. Like I get so intense. It was, it was awesome. <laughs> I, I just think that like, honestly, it, it's fun when a conversation goes in a completely different yeah. direction to, to maybe what you intended. 
Um, yeah. And we've got a whole lot left on the table that we yeah. can chat about and people can learn about from you. Yeah. Um, I would love so to do it that. just means we've got to do another one. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Monica, thank you so okay. much for giving up some of your time because you're a busy lady and uh, <laughs> obviously Too doing busy. a ton of important work. Um, so yeah, thank you and you're welcome back anytime. Awesome. Look forward to chatting again soon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for the work that you do. Rad. And should I tell people where to find me? Yes. Yeah. Where okay. can we find you? Yes. That is the, the yeah. main thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at unsocially inclined. Um, it's totally different than what everything I've been talking about today, That's the whole but part we'll we go into that yeah. later. <laughs> I, um, help introverts put themselves out there for their business and be super authentic and not change who they are. So, but I'm happy to talk about anything, veganism, environmentalism, non-toxic education. So hit me up at Exactly. Go and reach out, <laughs> say, Hey, let her know you listen to the podcast. And if you've got any questions, she's more than happy super to help happy. out. Yeah. Thanks once again. Cheers. Bye. <laughs> Hey again, Vegemates! thank you for tuning in today. We really do appreciate all of your support. If you would like to chat with Monica directly, please go and find her at monicashrock.com or at unsociallyinclined on Instagram. Uh, she's a wealth of information when it comes to the environment, toxins in our home and daily lives and how we can start removing those, copywriting, business, and just being an all-around great human being. Please reach out to us if there is someone in particular you would like to see on the show, especially if they are located in the USA, Canada, or Mexico. If you'd like to help support the show, please take a couple of minutes to leave a short review through the Apple Podcast application on iTunes. Five stars and a short description of why you like the show is free, and it goes a really long way into helping us reach more people around the globe. Until next week, guys, keep it plant-based. I look forward to chatting with you all again soon.